back, serial killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Now, this is a very special episode. It's part of a three-part series where we are celebrating one of my favorite things. I almost wanted to call it a class reunion, but it's not a class reunion. Uh, but we are celebrating the Sunnydale 25. It is the 25th anniversary of Buffy this year. And it means so much to me, and I know so much to a lot of you out there. So I had to bring two incredible people on with me. I have Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I have Sam Elisea from our other amazing podcast here at Certain POV. Welcome to the show, both of you. Hello. Thank you. Hi. So why don't you introduce yourselves for the muggles at home that for some reason don't know who you both are at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm Samantha Alisea. You, everyone just calls me Sam, so feel free to do that. And I am part of the Certain Point of View Network, and I'm on Another Pass, which is a lovely show talking about how we could make things better, mostly movies, you know, just rewriting them so that they're amazing. Not that they weren't good, but, you know, better. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, as Maddie mentioned. I am uh, no stranger to this show in every arc incarnation of it. Um, and uh, I uh, am also from the Certain Point of View Podcast Network. I have too many shows, some might say, uh -huh. on the network. Um, and uh, But they are Fun and Games, which is a video game podcast, which Maddie has been on. Screen Snark, which is a TV and movie podcast, which Maddie has been on. And uh, CPOV Autographs, which is an interview series that Maddie has also been on. Uh, and Reignite, the only podcast Maddie has not been on, mostly because the subject matter hasn't reached him yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, which is a Mass Effect retrospective podcast that's currently in its fourth season, taking on Mass Effect Andromeda, a game I have not yet played until we started for the season. So yeah. Uh, and then beyond that, I am a Twitch streamer, a DJ, and some may say too much online, terminally online, some might say. Uh, but yeah, that's me. Yeah. I, you know, the shortest CV, uh, certain CV the shortest CV at certain POV. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, the most expansive, but yeah. we are so thankful to have you and all of your shows. And Sam, it was lovely having you come to the network because uh, we all love another pass, but it was just so awesome to kind of see it gaining even more life once you joined with us. So, of course, of <laughs> course. Uh, yeah, no, Matt, I'm, I, honestly, with Reignite, it has made me want to play Mass Effect. So <laughs> it is, it is is one that uh i have i have a job that's kind of keep me on the road a lot come the fall probably and so i was like well if there's a version for the switch i guess it's going to be a real good time to just start playing the mass effect <laughs> games it's the same reason why i bought the bioshock uh pack because i was like well i love the art and i love watching uh let's plays so Maybe that's a great time <laughs> to just start playing Bioshock. <laughs> but we are here to talk Buffy today. The Vampire Slayer, Sunnydale, California, the Hellmouth. Oh, all uh, there's so much to this show uh, that I actually have to split it into two episodes. Plus, we are tying in an episode of Another Pass this coming week where Sam Case and I talk the Buffy movie. Okay. So we're covering all sides of the canon. And next week, uh, or in two weeks, I am joined by Steph and Meg from the Judging Book Covers podcast where we talk the extended universe of Buffy, whether it's fanfic, comics, novels, uh, further animation, video games, whatever it might be. That's where we're talking that. So we are going to have your Buffy covered over the next two <laughs> weeks. So why don't you both just tell everyone at home, maybe your 
kind of earliest memories of Buffy, how you got into it, and why it is stuck with you 25 years later. Matt. Why don't you go first, Sam? Oh, I oh, was going to say yeah. that as oh, we're my both hero. So, we're, both, we're both too polite is what, what we're learning here. I know, this is the problem. <laughs> we're both the best and the worst to have on tonight. No, no, after you, after you. No, you, no, 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 you. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I will go first. I, I will just, I'll be, I'll be the one. Um, I'll be the chosen one. Oh, God, Samantha, you're fired. Um, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> um. So actually, my mother is the reason I started watching Buffy. So my family had this rule that everyone got to pick a show in the house and we would watch it as a family. And I was like, I hated like horror, anything, like anything that's scary. I'm a scaredy cat, like officially. I am like the worst. And um, like I've, I went outside during Jurassic Park because I was too afraid. And then I stood, I could hear all the noises, which made it worse. I should have just watched. And then I went back in and I saw the end. But, like, seriously, scaredy cat. Um, so I, um, you know, my mom picked the show because she really liked the movie. My mom had seen the movie. She didn't deem it appropriate for me because uh, I was too young when the movie came out. And we watched it, and it was just this great show because she was like, oh, the girls have to watch this because it was such a fun movie, and it's a woman kicking butt, and I love that. And um, my mother named me Samantha so that if for some reason – women lost their rights, I could become an, a writer and I would be Sam. So like literally this is how my mom thinks. So Buffy is perfect for her. So I love your mom. I just, I've never met your mom, but I love her so much. Yeah, she's basically the Puerto Rican Sarah Connor. That's my mom. Amazing. So, love that. So, um, so, but so like, and we were watching it and the great thing about the show and especially the first season, even though it feels very serial, it had like these, real things that affected people our age that you know the demons were metaphors for so it was a lesson the way that classic sci-fi or horror should do kind of like the monsters are us all along and and so and then after that you know after the first or second season it wasn't just mom's choice anymore I would say like middle of the first season I was like okay I can deal with this I was still like kind of creeped out but like it was just such a good show with good characters and it was fun and it, it, it did a good job building its lore, you know, and building on what was in the film, which I hadn't even seen. So as a person coming into the show, just like, we're just going to watch the show. It was great. And it was great to see as a young woman in that era because a long time ago in the 90s, that, you know, to see someone like kick butt and have an opinion Buffy was you know she she had attitude she was always in trouble but she was doing it for the right reasons um and at least that's how teenage Sam saw it <laughs> Matt, and she was always and she was always impeccably dressed oh always always I mean the best the best dressed <laughs> uh for me so I remember seeing the movie on TV probably in the mid-90s after it had come out before the series started. Uh, but I couldn't tell you when I first saw it. It was one of those things that I felt like was always on Channel 11 in New York. Like, just they would just run that movie after mm -hmm. it came out. And so I feel like I saw it there. 
And then when the TV show started, I remember going, oh, cool, a TV show. I wonder if this has anything to do with the movie, not knowing who Joss Whedon was, not knowing who, like, the executive producers were. And so I didn't know that connective thread. I wasn't as big of a movie and TV nerd then as I am now. And I started watching the show, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And, like, I was a, I was a Seth Green fan. I was, a, you know, a Sarah Michelle Gellar fan already. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I just got invested you know, it was high school students getting into trouble. And so I kind of connected with it. Uh, my interest was more peaked in the series once David Boreanaz joined the cast and the incredible angel <laughs> became a part of the show regularly. My earliest vampire crush that I can think of. Um, because as much as I enjoyed the women on the show, and I did kind of have a crush on Oz also, for better or worse. Um, but like a lot of it was just, like it was kind of goofy it was serial it's kind of why later on i watched the flash as well on the cw and stuff it's like that kind of serial nature although i stopped mm-hmm. watching the flash because they stopped doing that too they became like by the fourth speedster villain i was like i'm done with you flash enough get new yeah. ideas but <laughs> but what i loved about buffy was that just it was kind of like you know episode to episode you didn't really have to follow the continuity at least in the early seasons you could kind of just enjoy the monster of the week of it all mm-hmm. um and and like I I don't know that I ever saw the entire series until much later. I feel like I saw most of it, but to this day, because like other shows at the time, I watched them kind of out of order whenever they were just on on repeat. Mm-hmm. That I don't know what episode came when. Like I right. can remember a lot of the benchmark episodes, but I don't really remember like when certain episodes airs like i know the musical episode like everyone else is a favorite but like yeah <laughs> i couldn't tell you what season that was in off the top of my head six yeah yes six. thank you i, I, I love i love that maddie said it because i was thinking it and i just didn't want to be that person I, I, it's fine like of season six <laughs> i owned no, the soundtrack I... on cd like like it was I, I was bad. I was in, I was in this fandom bad, guys. I owned it on CD. I owned a burned copy in case I couldn't find the CD. I own the vinyl. <laughs> I own a poster. <laughs> I own a signed copy of the script. I'm not saying. I'm not saying anything. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it, you said a lot, actually. I said so much. <laughs> um, See a match. Um, no, uh, yeah, I actually got into Buffy way later because uh, I, I ex- feel like exhaustively everybody just rolls their eyes when I say it, but I grew up in an evangelical household in the South, which meant demons and vampires and witches are of the devil. They're dark-sided and we do not have them. So I didn't watch Buffy until I actually had a church friend who was super into the series. After we graduated high school, it was like, when season six and season seven were coming out on DVD, because at that point it took a year and a half for a show to come out on DVD, maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to clear music rights and this, and the music with Buffy was so important. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, uh, Matt, I'm sure you will bring that up at some point. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, I mean, it started with Once More the Feeling. That was probably my first Buffy episode that I remember because mm. it got me in as a musical theater kid. And then we just kind of watched through season six, watched through season seven. And then I went back and kind of marathoned all the way through on my friend's DVDs at that point. Uh, Because I kept flunking out of college. So what else did I have to do other than be a giant disappointment (laughs) and sell Cutco knives to to church people? Um, uh, So, yeah. So, but it, 
it spoke to all of the otherness that I felt. It spoke to the queerness that I was like clawing for because it was about the same time I discovered Queer's Folk. Mm -hmm. And so both of these shows kind of heavily coded my programming at like 18, 19. So like just coming out of, of those like teenage years, which is Buffy's one of the few shows that I think successfully traversed those teen years through the college years yeah. in so many ways um, that, you know, because it was always the joke of somebody was like, oh, Buffy's going to college now. And I was like, oh, cute. Because, like, we all think about, like, Saved by the Bell and those things when they went to college. And it just didn't always work because there was such a focus on high school. And while high school was such a focus in the first three seasons of Buffy... It was so much bigger because they had already set up a larger world for us with the Watcher's Council right. and kind of this lineage of vampires and demons mm -hmm. and uh, the the mayor even in season three. The mayor's the they best. They did a nice... The, oh. I love him. Top One of the top two like long-running villains for me in the show. I think it's Mer um, uh, Mercy. Is it Mercy? Glory. Oh, my God. Yeah, glory. glory. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Glory and the mayor, I think, for me are just... Uh, yeah. Um, and for me, Matt Storm, it was when Spike joined the show mm. that my... <laughs> uh, oh, no, now I feel like I, the tiebreaker. Uh, <laughs> well, I, like I like to say often that I'm into chaos twinks. And uh, uh, right. when it comes to... Only in literature, only uh. in literature. Because if you see the men I date, it's like, oh, cute bear boys. But like <laughs> when it comes to like... <laughs> like I'm on a heartstopper kick right now. Like I literally just bought a replica of Charlie's backpack Aww. from the show because I am garbage. Uh, and, but it's just like, Oh yeah. Like spike. He's not really a twink. Honestly, everybody's like, he's not a twink. Um, uh, but, but he like, is chaos. But like, like utter chaos. <laughs> like he, uh, Spike, oh, somebody once was like, oh, if you like Spike, you should read this Marvel character, Loki. I think you'll really like oh, him. Yeah. And so Spike Spike was my gateway into Loki in like 2003. Um, but that is kind of how I found the show. And it's one that I've always gone back to because despite Joss being a trash bag now, yes. I, I worshipped at the Church of Whedon for ever literally Same. until yeah. literally until it was just such proof that I couldn't anymore like I will scream even about like dollhouse for days and that's where we should have seen the downfall coming and none of us were listening nope. um but like I will scream about firefly and serenity until the end of time dr horbus singlong blog titan ae even when he wrote astonishing x-men like I I worshiped at the church of Whedon so but it's not just what Josh it's not what Josh did Joss was smart and built this incredible team of people where unlike most TV series that have a lot of one-off writers, Buffy about 90% is like the same 14 writers yeah. for the whole series. Yeah. And even those writers would go on to write the novels. They would write the comic years later, uh, like they would stay on. And so I think them understanding the tone is also how I started like as a, storyteller understanding how we tell stories and keeping it light but also we can often tell some of the most serious stories with comedy um and not just with trauma porn because yeah. i think buffy really towed that line of trauma porn and relatable content but i you know it's i i don't want to just praise joss for what the show is because it's not one person you know it's especially sarah sarah was one of the biggest um warriors literally of that show of that character of everyone on the show um a great book just came out by evan ross katz about buffy that i just finished reading that is 
great because it also tells the stories of Sarah Michelle Gellar leading the show and the cast having their names smeared in the media, but they were all trying to support each other, those things. And so it's, it's a show that I keep revisiting because it makes me feel much better about things in different points of my life. And it's also given me things to help traverse, um, like the, the body, uh, I have kind of learned how to process grief from how I felt watching that episode. Yeah. Right. And so there are so many things that has kind of carried me on. And for me, that's kind of why Buffy has stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, I find my, I find myself watching it, rewatching it at least once every year, every two years I will, I will do, or I'll go through kind of a greatest hits of the series. So I'm not watching some of the, cause this is, I love that you all brought up both of you, that it was this idea of like serialized storytelling. Cause we can go five or six episodes that really don't pull into the main plot, but it furthers our characters. Yeah. And then they'll throw us back into that main plot, especially season six. They did this a lot. <laughs> season four, they do it a lot. Uh, season five, even though glory is there, we'll go lots of episodes without seeing her. And we're just trying to figure out what's happening with Dawn at that point. And it was something that a lot of shows have not successfully been able to do in a way that I think they did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think also so, they were lucky in the fact that it's, you know, this is when television was actually like, the only thing to watch. So the seasons are literally like 20 to 24 episodes, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not like just like a short thing. So you have room to like kind of breathe, you know, like this is like, Mm -hmm. like I really love Discovery. And I know this is Star Trek and not Buffy, but I really love Discovery. But the thing about Discovery- As you should, it's amazing. As you should, The thing about Discovery is that it's always like DEFCON 5 to me. Like I'm Mm -hmm. always like running, 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 run to the next story. And I really miss the laid back, let's sit in the pocket, everyone's going to go to a planet and sit on a beach and get to know Mm -hmm. each other kind of experience Mm -hmm. of next generation. And I know that, you know, it's a different show, so I don't want it to necessarily be that. But I would love Mm -hmm. to have just like like a side plot where someone's just off having their vacation while everything else Mm -hmm. is falling apart. Only because I miss that breathing that streaming doesn't really allow us to do in Mm -hmm. shows. Um, and I get it, right? Like, there's so much content out of there, like, and we need to kind of get people in. And also, most of the seasons are now a very tight 10 or 13 episodes. So you don't really have time for, like, this character to go off and do something. But I kind mm-hmm. of miss that. I kind of miss that. And I was really thinking about that as I was having a panic attack uh, watching Discovery. Because uh, I love the show, but sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go watch something else now. Why do they keep having to do this? Poor Michael. She deserves better. She's amazing. She's amazing. Okay, so I'm good. And um, <laughs> But I, you've had room to kind of play with those things in in this era of television and this show did it so well right it Mm -hmm. did it so well to kind of be like okay like this whole episode is just going to be about a swim team that is using performance enhancing drugs that turn them into sea monsters and there's going to be nothing here except for one scene where Angel shows up as a jerk and he's going to taste the guy and he's going to taste bad and he's going to walk away. We know he's building an army against Buffy, but that's it. That's one little Easter egg. Other than that, we have nothing to that main buildup. It's all sea monsters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's great. It's wonderful. There, There is that beautiful quality of the monster of the week that like 
was left in the 50s, 60s mm -hmm. that didn't really kind of continue with the slasher era. Uh, like I, we just announced today at Universal that the first Horror Nights house is going to be The Mummy versus The Wolfman versus Dracula in that classic Bela Lugosi Universal monster style. And I just go, mm -hmm, as it should be, good, <laughs> good, good. You know, because there is something. Also, like what this show did on a TV budget is incredible. The monsters are amazing. The, like even at the hokiest now, like it's still yeah. so it's a lot of, and you know, I think it's hard to talk about Buffy and not talk about Star Trek in many ways right. because what Roddenberry did and then what after we lost Roddenberry kind of as it continued through Sam when you brought up you know just kind of getting to enjoy those episodes of Star Trek I thought about Voyager because that's my favorite yes. Star Trek but also like they're literally in a different quadrant so sometimes the episodes have to be purely about exploration yeah. purely about discovery mm -hmm. and you know once we even got the Angel series Willow could literally leave in the middle of the first evil showing up and wreaking havoc because she needs to go to Angel for three episodes to figure things out about herself and her magic. Oh, and get Faith to bring Faith back. BT yeah. dubs. Um, <laughs> or, you know, when Faith was immediately able to go the next season to Angel and kind of hit her rock bottom without Buffy there yeah. was a really cool, interesting thing. Now, Angel had a lot more faults, I think, than Buffy did. I think it is far from the show that Buffy was, but they I were trying to accomplish different Matt's things. But. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the Angel Defender has logged on. So, like, while I love Beth Buffy, and I do, I do love Buffy, mm -hmm. Angel was the show I loved because it was just nonsense. And I liked that it was nonsense. Pure the, nonsense, yeah. There was a puppet episode. And if anyone says they don't like the puppet episode, you're a cop. I don't care who They're you wrong. are. They're You're... absolutely wrong. Yeah. I, because, I love all puppets. Angry so Angel Puppet is the best. It's just the best puppeting ever. But uh mm -hmm. but no, but you're right. I mean, I feel like Buffy had this quality level that like Angel tried to hit and like but then I think of the episode where Spike guests and Angel and Spike are chasing finger quotes Buffy all over and it turns but it's not even Sarah Michelle Geller in the episode. It's a body double and we never see her face and you know, it teaches us an important lesson of leave the lady alone, you know, kind of yeah. fuck off, go away. But I just feel like through most of, if not all of the run of Buffy, the the highest highs were just always higher than Angel ever was. I think Angel tried, but at the end of the day, it was a spinoff and it was kind of viewed as lesser than Buffy, which fair or not was just kind of how the fandom, I think, took it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my favorite angel is when season five happens and the ghost of Spike shows up and then Spike's real again. Yeah. Um, that's, that's Obviously. Also, just because, like, honestly, who doesn't love a vampire buddy cop? Because then you yeah. also had Harmony there. Yeah. Like, and really, and, like, Charisma Carpenter went through absolute hell on that show. Yeah. So, like, knowing knowing that and watching through Angel and then also seeing all that bullshit stuff with Connor. Yeah. Like, there's just that stuff in the middle that it's like, this doesn't work for me yeah um but there are still amazing things about angel i i did a watch about two years during the pandemic where i did once we got to season four episode one of buffy i did episode one season one of angel oh wow and i literally just oh, wow. because so many of them did tie in and angel would 
skulk around. Uh, but it's it's funny, Matt, that you referenced that particular episode of Angel because that's actually from a book that one of the Buffy. It was the first yep. book after the show. It was the canon yep. called Queen of the Slayers. I'm going to talk about it on the next episode with Meg and Steph. So tune into that. But it is one of my favorite where Buffy goes to live at the Immortal, <laughs> and then they reference it, and then they referenced it in the Dark Horse comics as well. So it's just canon, canon, canon. Um, but yeah, and I will say ultimately, I'm glad that David got in James got the end of Angel without Sarah. Yeah. Because again, they found out very early that they were being canceled mid season. So they rushed that episode and it was supposed to be Sarah and Allison and a ton of the potential slayers running in in the last second to save the day. But I'm kind of glad that that did not happen though. In that same book, we all watched them die 30 seconds after the uh, credits roll, which has to be kind of expected, but then don't worry. We get a comic where they all come back because LA gets sucked into the Hellmouth. because if you live in LA, you already live in a hellmouth. You've been done living in a hellmouth. It's true. It's the fires. You cannot. You cannot convince me otherwise. Uh, New York, though, you're not too far. Orlando, we're lower than LA. It's fine. Uh, but uh, so you know, it's so funny to me after all these years that we have people who are just like they know Buffy on a pop culture reference, but like. The Buffy panels, the Buffy guests, they are at conventions. They are the most well attended. They are the highest attended. It is so well spoken of. I think it is a, a fandom where we have seen arguably more people gain into the fandom over time than like step away from the fandom. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the most eye-opening things for me was when I went to Dragon Con my first year. This would have been 2005, I think maybe 2000 yeah 2005 and i got to be xander in a shadow cast of once more with feeling which oh. was uh yeah they did a they did a rocky horror two nights and then the first night we did buffy once more with feeling nice. and we did two performances with two different casts it was so good uh i wore a shirt that just said the zeppo the whole time deep cut um <laughs> Uh, got to damn dance with an amazing Anya who hand who hand beaded her own butterfly like kerchief shirt. Oh, Looking back now as a costumer, I wish I still knew that woman because she is my hero. Um, but like the response, cause like Mercedes who played Glory was there. Nicholas Brendan was there. Like Nicholas Brendan was watching me perform as Xander. So like it was these weird things that like I didn't realize how huge the Buffy fandom was as a part of it until I did that convention for the first time and saw that. And I went, Oh, I'm part of this incredible community. I'm part of something so special. This is incredible. Um, so when I guess, what are your responses to people who, uh, when, when you try not to kick out, if you have a friend that's like, Oh, I just have never watched Buffy. Like, I, I don't know if I should at this point, but like, what, it, what was, what is your response to people who just, are so outside of this fandom, even though it's been such a huge part of pop culture. I mean, I, I think so. It's a fine line to walk. I feel like, uh, as someone who lives on Twitter, probably arguably too much, <laughs> uh, it's become very apparent to me that everyone has an opinion about everything. There are takes on takes on takes, and like people can't just enjoy things. Which, to be fair, like I, I'm at a point with with Harry Potter where I'm like, I think it should all be burned. But that's just kind of how I feel about JK and, and mm -hmm. she can die in a fire. But with with Buffy and with other Wheaton properties, it's 
it's it's I'm I'm more I don't know nebulous because there are other people involved, right? And like mm-hmm. you know, I I recently uh, was listening to a podcast ta- re- talking about the first Avengers movie and how it was Quip City and how like there was just no real dialogue in that movie. It was kind of obnoxious. And like looking back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, the MCU has come a long way, and Joss Whedon's movies within the MCU do kind of suck. Uh, I mean, we knew at the time that Age of Ultron was awful, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, and so, like, when recommending Buffy for me, it's like, I, I am aware of the ho- horrible person that he's become, or argue, more arguably, we've discovered that he is. He's always probably been a shit. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's up to the person if they want to separate the content from the creator, right? But it's not my place to say you have to do that. You should still experience. But that yeah. said, if someone's just like, I haven't seen it because I don't know if I'll like it, that's when I'll jump in and I'll go, well, do you like comedy? Do you like action? Do you like high school drama? Of course you do. Everybody does. You should watch the show. It's yeah. the, My new fun thing to do is the people who, in my friend group who are younger, who are like, oh, I love Riverdale. I'm like, oh, have you seen Buffy? No. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Buffy ran, uh, Buffy walked so Riverdale could run. Yeah, um, and so, like, mm-hmm. that's, like, my comparison point. But, like, I, I, I just, I also try not to be, like, Rachel and I have talked a, a lot about this on screen snark shameless plug that you know we don't i don't want to be a force for pushing media on someone like they're they're always gonna be the people how could you not have seen this thing how dare you uh although i get like that with certain things i think we all do right we all have those things we're real fans of but like i try not to seriously get like that i try to have a conversation about it and if it sounds like someone might be interested my favorite thing to do is when someone's not interested in something or think they're not but they're like, you know, coy about it. They they probably would like it. Is to just hang out with them and be like, oh, I'll just throw something on. Don't worry about it. And then you just <laughs> suck them right in. Yeah. I mean, I, I did make my best friend watch it. But that was like years ago. Like we were in our 20s. And he had not seen it. And I had already had, like I had all the DVDs. And I was just like, no, this is like really important to me. And in order for you to understand who I am as a person right now, you have to watch these um uh, like if you don't and you have no point of reference you will not get some of my jokes so like this has shaped my humor too so like you already have the simpsons down but you need you need this as well this is this is part of my personality i'm so sorry um so i did do that i would say now as i as i am an elder um i would i probably i i probably wouldn't uh force it on anyone i i would say to anyone who's interested that this is a collaborative effort of a lot of different writers and a lot of different people and it's it's bigger than Joss and yes he has a lot of personality and he's a narcissist so he took a lot of credit for everything that was done but there are entire episodes especially towards the latter seasons that he didn't even have anything to do with because although he was overseeing Mm -hmm. plot lines and kind of approving things he was busy with Firefly and he was busy with Angel. And so he wasn't actually there. In fact, one of the things that Sarah Michelle Geller actually talked about was the latter seasons were more frustrating for her, especially uh, season six, because she felt that the, the, tr- the issues that Buffy was going through, like not being employable and kind of having all of these things happen to her and... And, you know, dying and coming back and just being kind of miserable. And the whole relationship with Spike, she hated all of that. She felt that that was the opposite of what Buffy would do and who Buffy was. Mm -hmm. And she didn't feel that this resilient person 
was that and and so like and she said that it was harder because she couldn't just walk up to Joss and like talk to him and complain about it um now whether she's right or not I mean like I think that there are some great lessons that are learned in that season and I think there's some really good things that happen because she is the chosen one and being the chosen one for this very specific thing but kind of sucking at the rest of your life is mm -hmm. like that's a crazy balance that a lot of people go through so i think like in a lot of ways that even though that's not how she wanted to see buffy i think we don't get to see superheroes kind of be that very often in fact my favorite superheroes mm -hmm. generally are those people right like spider-man mm -hmm. i love spider-man i love that he's kind of you know he's kind of an everyday kind of person and mm -hmm. and he's got this ability but like it doesn't pay his bills and mm -hmm. and so you know, I kind of enjoyed that, but but I understand. And so what I would like to say to people is, like, if you want to watch it, it's okay to watch it. It is already out. You you streaming it, it's, it's not really lining pockets or, mm -hmm. you know, you can go ahead and do that. Like, like it's not, um, you, you're not actively buying. Like, my whole thing with JK is that I feel like... Um, you know, fine. If, if you have the books and you want to keep reading the books, fine, fine. But don't go buy more merch. Don't, don't go see the, mm -hmm. the new movies. Don't put money into her pocket when, when that money is going to go to hurting marginalized communities and mm -hmm. all of her bullshit because that's where I draw the line. So, like, if you're consuming new Harry Potter media, that's the problem I have with you. Like, don't do it. Maybe also don't give it to your children. Um, like, The Worst Witch is actually better. It's a great series. <laughs> and possibly J.K. stole a lot from it. But that's just from that's just from someone who is an elder millennial letting you guys know that maybe you could check that out. Give that to your kids. Percy Jackson's also good. Uh, anyway, so all I'm saying is, yes, there, there are my rule for like artists with trouble past is if they have passed then i can consume the media that is no longer making them money which is why i can still read rodal and <laughs> and if they are still living then i don't want to give them any more money to harm any more people i, w I want everyone to be aware of the harmful things that those people have done and i think that that's important i think it's important to not sugarcoat the past and when people do, did or do terrible things um i'm i'm fine with speaking ill of the dead go ahead and do it because the truth needs to be out there um like i think Ronald, ronald reagan can die again in a fire as far as absolutely. i'm concerned absolutely as, i hopefully he's dying eternally in many fires forever uh, while being while being whipped by lots of gorgeous homosexuals yes yeah I, I hope that him and and uh anita oh god what's her name she got the pie in the face oh oh yeah uh, uh, and in his wife, I hope they're all just a big old lashing yeah. pit of queer people. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so I, I do think that we, we should, we should discuss these things and we should call out people for what they are when they're users and abusers and other nefarious things, um, that are sometimes bigger. We're looking at you, Reagan. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, 
you know, so I would say, like, if if you like this, if like Matt said, if you like Riverdale, if, if you like that kind of fun, kind of just, I would also say that it is very of the era. So if you want to look at the late 90s and what <laughs> high school looked like then, um, yeah, take a look. By the way, um, all you Gen Zs, if there's any of you listening, you're dressing just like everyone in Buffy. So y- you, yes, you, absolutely. you yes. are got, you're Christopher Columbusing all of the styles. I just yeah. want you to know that you're just rediscovering and appropriating it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I would say like, it's a really great series filled with a lot of wonderful performances. Maybe skip some of the episodes where, um, Angel has to have an accent, but, uh, sorry, Matt. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it's fine. I've accepted the flaws. We, we all accept the flaws. <laughs> but, um, I, I actually always, no matter what, when I rewatch, I just like fast forward through all of his history. Cause yeah. I can't take it. I'm like, uh, every no. time they do a flashback, it's, it's absolutely awful. I love David Boreanaz as an actor, but definitely accent work is not his strength. I was just like, this is, this is bad. <laughs> Nobody gets to be big, beefy, chiseled boy in flowing white historic garments. And who doesn't love that? Yes, that's true. <laughs> Apparently not me enough. Not, not enough. Not uh, me enough. I was like. I mean, it's be- it is better on silent. It absolutely it, yeah. is. <laughs> Seen and not heard. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is there is a very like. The, amongst Buffy fans, people always pit Spike versus Angel. Like, who who do you think she should have ended up with? And I kind of like the idea that she didn't end up with either because mm-hmm, both same. relationships mm-hmm. were, you know, metaphors for things that were bad. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that she didn't end up with either. Um, I am more Team Spike despite the horrible things. I think I blocked them out. <laughs> like, oh, season six. Oh, season the six. end of season six is rough. That is so, it is so mm. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what the team was thinking there. Like, like I, I will say that like, there are some like great things about season six, but season six was like, and even parts of season seven, I, and honestly, like, what the fuck, yo? I was re-watching some of these, and, like, it, like the like season three, like, she comes back from running away, right? Because she's got this horrible thing. She's killed Angel. He got his soul back. She knew she sent a good person to hell, right? Uh, and, and, like, her friends, when she comes back, like, immediate anger, just like so like like just shut down anger and this is like a recurring theme of people like not having enough empathy for her and i'm just like i feel like this is like one of my biggest pet peeves with the show because i feel like they always want to like um kind of torture buffy just a little bit and it was like heavier in season six and season seven where they really wanted to like put her through the ringer and i was just like but wh- why are you yelling at her? And honestly, like, mm-hmm. uh, this last rewatch, because I did rewatch, like, four seasons before we did this. It's a lot to watch. Um, I was like, I think I hate Xander. 
Yes, yes, he oh, is yeah. the fucking worst. He's Xander terrible. is the fucking worst. And it now makes so much sense when Jaws was like, I just see so much of myself in Xander, and so I really just wanted to present like a guy that we don't normally see. And now I was like, Xander's a sack of shit. Like yeah. poor Anya. Poor Anya. Everyone. Like, everyone that he's ever been with. Cordelia, uh, poor her. Like honestly, Cordelia was like a total like crazy person but i will respect mm-hmm. the fact that at least Cor- you knew exactly where you stood with cordelia cordelia told you yes. exactly what she was thinking it wasn't always nice a lot of times it was rude but cordelia was like what's wrong with your face and she'd be like what and she's like there's like a zit also maybe this is like a pathology blah 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 blah, blah. and you'd be like okay all of those things are true one of those things didn't need to be said thank you cordelia and so but like like in the beginning of season three, because we watched season three, like when Faith shows up, he's sitting next to his girlfriend because they are an established couple. And he is literally asking Faith to tell stories about her being naked over and over while he's sitting next to his girlfriend. And he's just so, and he yells at Buffy like the minute she gets back. And he's so mean about everything. And then he lies about the fact that Willow is going to do... Sorry, guys, I just rewatched this. So I'm reliving the trauma. Um, But he, like, lies because Willow tells him to go and tell Buffy that she's working on giving Angel back the soul. And so, like, she can at least stall to see if it works. And no, no, he doesn't tell her. So Buffy fights full out, makes him bleed, and then she has no choice but to send him into the portal. All because Xander was like... I hate that guy. Get him. Like, Xander, you're such an ass. Well, and he gets creepy with Dawn later on, which is weirder because they let them end up together in the comics, uh, like much later, no. like the season 11 comics. Yeah. It's re- Yeah. Xander's the legitimate worst. Um, and, uh, oh, it's just, it's so, so much. Well, and even thinking about like that aspect of, Buffy, when they chose to resurrect her because they needed her. Yeah. Like, it w- it all was for such selfish reasons. They were like, oh, but Don, oh, but Don. And it's like, nah, fam. Sometimes this shit just happens. This is what the Slayer is supposed to do. And a lot of it also, because there was this kind of unspoken thing after a while, that they were like, oh, all Slayers go to hell. Because there's a, a part of a demon that makes a slayer. And that's why there's that really heavy hitting musical moment in Once More With Feeling. Where she's like, I was literally in heaven and you clawed me out. Which yeah. apparently in the continuity of the show means she can never go back. If you were taken out of heaven, you cannot go back. So, and uh, Alison Hannigan does a gorgeous acting moment of that at the end of that episode. When she, Willow... <laughs> realizes that she has ruined Buffy's eternity. Yeah. Um, Cause we don't always think about afterlife with the show. Cause like there's hell, there's a hell mouth, whatever it's part of it. And so we only, cause that was also the thing with angel. We only focus on like the evil parts of the afterlife right? and kind of what that means for extended where Buffy, we also don't super get to talk about it much, but it's that moment of, Oh no. I mean, we know that Cordelia becomes a power that be, that's a thing that happens. And, and you know, we see Joyce occasionally and know that she is in some serene place, but um yeah, it is. It is just those moments of where it's just like they and again, it makes sense now knowing what we know about Jaws. But it's like, oh, they just wanted to make this poor girl's life horrible, which ultimately makes sense that she ended up with 
another one of the slayers in the comic like ultimately like her comfort relationship is with the only other person who can actually experience what she's experiencing and that ultimately makes a ton of sense and it's why for me there's a lot of easily seen queer coding in season yeah. three oh, because yeah. for the first time she's been given a match with faith faith while difficult ultimately cares about buffy and her experience because they are again this is probably the only time in the existence of the slayer that two of them have existed at the same time because they it was you know bumpy with kendra she died very quickly and then they clearly were more invested in keeping faith and so we saw a lot of that with faith and so it's not that like buffy has to be queer coded there are just certain things that it's like sometimes people tend to gravitate towards people that have experienced the same trauma as them yeah it's also why like I never got enough of the very obvious relationship between Giles and Ethan. Yeah. Like clearly it is there. They pretty much say it. And Anthony Sewer had to this day is like, yes, they were clearly boyfriends. They clearly fucked. They clearly were in love, but they went in two different directions yeah. because one got dark. And so those are those moments that it's like, Oh, they just like to see a lot of these people suffer, especially Buffy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think also speaking to your queer coding in season three, one of the big things is at the end of season two, um, Buffy's mom tells her that if she walks out the door, she's not to come back. And that's par partially because of the trauma that she's had with Angel, but also because there is this like rejection just before she goes to save the world by her mom. And when she comes back, that, that first episode, which is still so hard for me to watch, when she comes back and they, they totally, Xander, totally ignores her feelings because he doesn't want to talk about things because he's angry at Buffy and he can't deal because he's Joss Whedon. And he doesn't like to talk about feelings. And, mm -hmm. and so he decides that they're going to throw a raging party, even though Buffy's mom, like, just invited them for dinner. Which, by the way, how rude. This is not your party. You're going to throw a house party at someone else's house when they invited you for dinner. Xander is the worst. Mm -hmm. So, and during that party, like, Buffy feels alienated from all of her friends, which she's already been feeling. She packs all, she starts packing all of her shit and Willow catches her. And of course Willow gets angry because she's like, you're running away again. And she's like, well, everyone would be happy. And when she goes downstairs, Joyce follows her and she's like, no, we're going to talk about this. And the music stops. And when Joyce is like laying everything at her door, Buffy says, you told me to leave because you, you found out who I was and you couldn't accept who I was, who I really was. And that was like very... For, especially for the time, very heavily queer quoted because that is something that definitely happened. And the fact that in that first, first episode, Buffy was living on the streets and being, and like there was this pa like kind of pastor kind of guy picking up on people. This is what happens usually to LGBT youth, especially, mm -hmm. especially in the 90s, but like even still to this day where they run away from home they don't have a place to go. A lot of them are living on the street and they are easily preyed upon by people. And so, and you know, the, the monster said to her, like, oh, I picked them because no one's looking for them. Okay. Right. And so that whole part of that, that first half of the season, even before you even get to faith is very queer coded because there's a relationship there to the experience of what queer people were going through during that time right then and there because Buffy was a runaway she was living on the streets mm -hmm. um and and she ran away because really not just because of 
angel and what happened with him, but because her mother told her, if you go to save the world, if you go to be the slayer, don't come home. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, basically, I don't accept the slayer. So, um, yeah, all of season three kind of follows that. And then season four ruins everything by bringing in Riley. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Fucking Riley. Oh my god. <laughs> and the groomiest groomer of all time with that creepy professor. Yep. Uh see season four is a point where I tell people they have to get through it. Cause you have great episodes like the Halloween house episode yeah. with Walter Jones from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh and you get Anya in the bunny suit, but it's also like Ooh, season four is rough, and Adam is like the worst villain ever. <laughs> yeah. But it's also because it's like Adam's not the villain. Adam represents mankind being, you know. But it, there's that interesting thing of season four existed in a world where more people knew that Buffy was the Slayer than not, mm -hmm. and they were quote unquote working with her. So it was so interesting to like see someone who she could focus on being a girl and like going to college and like falling in love with this boy who like also was weird and unusual, but like didn't mind that she was the Slayer, all these things. And it's just, it's so weird, but like I saw what they were doing with it, but one, it doesn't age well. Like, cause it again, yeah. it chastises the women embracing sexuality, women embracing things like the carnal house episode is mm -hmm. disgusting to watch now. Like, or beer bad, which beer bad in theory, funny. It's very funny, but it's also really gross. And it's just like, in ways that it's like, oh, it's coded to make people still feel guilty about like partying and having fun. And it's like, this is what college kids do. Is it funny that it turned everyone into Neanderthals and Sarah got to do some really fun character stuff? Cause Sarah's an amazing character actress. I will die on that hill. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I could, yeah. I could, in this essay, I will discuss. <laughs> that sounds like, I feel like that's a video essay I need to make with Lindsay Ellis because she and I will scream about up awful about season four. Now, you know, we're, we're getting into some territory of like things that like, oh, we're, you know, aren't necessarily the best now that we look past them. But, you know, uh, what are some things for you all that still stand true and like just really show the positive influence that this show had? What are some of those examples for both of you? I mean, I mean, you you hinted at this before, and I wouldn't be the music nerd that I am if I didn't say this. But the soundtrack to Buffy and Angel, like quintessential, absolute fire, quintessential '90s and 2000s music. Like it, it's just some of the because I mean, it also helps like the Rock Club and all this other stuff. Like helped to facilitate a lot of those. Like we're just gonna have a band play an entire song in the middle of a show. Uh, but like. I really like, I mean, just to name a few artists, like we had Lisa Loeb, Coldplay, Third Eye Blind, a Amy, Amy Mann, Sarah McLaughlin, like the who's who of that time period, Michelle Branch, um, and more. Like I just, I'm the Dandy Warhols, like just all of these incredible groups just being just, and, and incorporating music into TV. You know, I don't think we would have had shows so musically focused like Scrubs and like, like other sitcoms later on if it weren't for shows like Buffy. I think Buffy really set the standard for that of we don't just have to have a score. And the scoring in Buffy was also really good, but, Beautiful. Mm -hmm. but we also have pop music. And like there are some bands that like were 
well known ish before they went on the show. And then there were other bands who just like they were their appearance on Buffy helped them gain a popularity and gain momentum. And I think that regardless of the character choices and how much we hate Joss Whedon, (laughs) the music still stands the test of time and it's so integral to the show. Hey, Nerf Herders. You sure you want to go with that? Hey, everyone. There we go. More inviting. Have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love, but something holds you back? Or one that you did love in spite of a flaw? Well, I'm Casey. And I'm Sam Alisea. And on another pass, we sit down with cool guests to look at movies that we find fascinating. But flawed. And we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. Um, Going back to the queerness a little bit, I will say that everything with Willow, it's not all bad, but like some of it just feels very male gazy. You know, any kind of two femme presenting characters it's oh they're gay oh look it let's all watch like it's just I, I hate the performative nature of it i feel like it's done much better now but i still think for the time it was the best we had seen at that point right we had yeah. not really seen canonically queer characters in that in uh, to that depth dealing with those problems like we did in this show and while looking back on them i don't think they look as good i still think it's the best we had in the same way that i defend mass effect in the early years like even the fox news of it all and removing pansexual characters pansexuality and all this other Mm. stuff there were still queer relationships in those games that we just not seen at the time we can do much better now and we should but i think it's still important that stepping stone i think is still important um but yeah hands down my favorite thing about the show still to this day besides some of my favorite episodes is how banging the soundtrack is and and the and the score is all of it and of course once more with feeling a uh, uh, soundtrack that like so i'm Matt, maddie knows this i love musical theater but i'm not a musical theater nerd i just i like i like watching musicals a couple times with the exception of hamilton that i was obsessed with I don't typically get obsessed with musicals, but once more with feeling with something that just by osmosis and around other people and the way station, which is a bar that used to be in Brooklyn used to do shadow casts of it. Like I'm just hyper familiar with that. You can't not love that episode and that music. And like, it also set the standard for a show having a musical episode. I feel like Buffy was one of the earliest, like my favorite musical episode in a sitcom or TV show is the Scrubs one where um, I can't remember her name from Avenue Q shows up as a patient with like a brain tumor. So she hears everyone singing and then they do singing for the whole like that's one of my favorite musical episodes in a thing. But like that didn't become that wasn't a trope. I feel like before Buffy, it was after Buffy that that really became a thing that happened in everything. I I think the only show that had done it beforehand was Xena. Oh, yes. And that had been relatively... But that's also because they were like, oh, Lucy Lawless is a literal rock singer. Like, she does punk rock, so let's tie this in. But yeah, this was the first one. I mean, even, like, Grey's Anatomy has had a musical episode. We have shows like Glee. Riverdale did one every season. Like, it's one of those things that, like, musical theater is becoming more and more popular. And it is one of those things that you can tell Joss loves musical theater. They wanted to do it as early as season two. I'm glad it didn't happen until season six. It just felt more appropriate there. But it also, like, 
we got Dr. Horrible sing along blog later because of it, which is a actual wonderful piece of musical theater. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's the like, cause Ooh, there is nothing that hits me harder than Michelle Branch singing goodbye to you on the stage of the bronze while Giles and Tara pack up their shit and leave. Yeah. I, uh, well, because that's also the end of an episode I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, Tabula Rasa, which came out right after the musical. Like, it's one of those things that those two shows, episodes back to back, were ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, focused in on some of the best strengths of what that show did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those times, it even like just the music is so good. And I wish they could release kind of a retrospect of all of this, like all of the songs that were featured in the show. Um, Cause I know if you watch it now on, I think it's IMDb TV is the one that has Buffy, maybe it's Amazon, but a lot of the songs have been stripped out much like they did with Daria and things because yep. the streaming rights are different. The wonder years, it's a lot of those same things. Yeah. But for me, yeah, it's, I'm glad I have both all three Buffy CDs. I'm glad I have the angel CD. Cause like, you you can't even find them on YouTube a lot yeah. of the times, like uploaded yeah. the music. And it really helps set the tone for youth culture. And I think this is one of the few shows because like the 90s, they were kind of like faux youth culture because it was like Beverly Hills 90210. But then you also had like Saved by the Bell, which seemed to like parody different versions of youth culture where Buffy seem to relish in it the same way that like the teen beach movies of the fifties and sixties did when we actually saw an music, um, an American youth culture develop. And I think it really encouraged a lot of teens to be teens in a way. And like, if it had been like me, that would have been the only way I would have heard some of that music mm-hmm. because yeah. you know, I didn't listen to pop music otherwise. And it was really nice exposure for a lot of these bands, you know, a different world did that in the early nineties as well for a lot of like hip hop and R and B acts that would have never been on white television were able to be featured on that show. So it was the, the music, Matt, you are correct. It is yeah. just, it is the backbone of the show in so many ways. Yeah. Absolutely. I will say, just to latch on to this in some ways, that the the not just the music in the show, but the sound engineering in general mm-hmm. and editing, sound design, where mm-hmm. the where the where the the sound design where songs meld into other sounds, or even like mm-hmm. like like the moments where it's like someone singing, and then that kind of fades out, and then you get a sharp like, because something terrible's coming, and it's so well done the transition between score and like a song at the bronze is so like easily transitioned that unless you're looking for that um you're you're not even going to realize that like there's no abrupt like and now this is the scene and now that's the scene so it's like a very like high quality sound design for it which is perfect for something where there are several episodes that are well, they made me jump because I'm a scaredy cat, especially Hush. I couldn't even rewatch it this time because I, I always get so afraid. Like, I, and it was, it was coming up when it was too late for me, and I was like, no, no, I can't. Um, but it's such a good episode, and and it is, it is, all there. It is just the accompaniment. It is just sound effects. It is just sound design, and very uncomfortable costumes for the poor actors <laughs> um but but it is an incredibly like creepy i mean like this show has like at least 
like four or five really standout episodes and hush body where where joyce yeah. passes <laughs> away once more with feeling and i would say the episode right after once more with feelings are just standout episodes because mm-hmm. they get to the point they they get to these these really like heartfelt like crazy like hush is just a piece of artwork for like anyone mm-hmm. who likes mm-hmm. horror like honestly honestly mm-hmm. if you don't even want to watch all of buffy just go watch hush because just watch that episode and just know that she's the slayer and just watch that episode if you mm-hmm. like horror and you just want to enjoy seeing some sort of classic monster because it's really just well done mm-hmm. and it has almost nothing to do with the rest of the plot. You can watch that as as a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's what I would tell people if I wanted to get them to Puffy. Watch this as a one-off. Just watch Hush. Um, and, and like... Uh, you know, I will say that the, the, that especially like the body episode um, and and once more with feelings, it is this like really like heart wrenching thing. And the best thing about this show is the relationships between the characters for me, and I mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. for me, Buffy and Willow, and as they go through the journey together, because Xander sucks, so he doesn't count. And um, but but Buffy, but Buffy and Willow and. I mean, okay, let me give Xander some credit here. Xander is, in some ways, very loyal, even though it's partially because he's creepy and he wants to be in Buffy's pants. But but he but he is loyal to the two of them. He's just also very pessimistic and a jerk. And, and the Scooby gang is really wonderful. And then when Oz comes along, Oz and Willow's relationship is, is really nice. And that gradual change of the status of their relationship that just changes. That's something that normally happens to people. And I think the mm-hmm. fact that they were able to weave these things that really happened in the supernatural setting is so good. I mean, even with Tara and Willow, um, even though there's a lot of things that are not perfect about their relationship, the fact that Tara is the kind of person who had to deal with the fact that basically Willow was addicted to something, right? And dealing with mm-hmm. what happens when you love someone, but what they're doing is wrong and they lie to you. And that thing is so wrong and the lie is so wrong. And how do you walk away from it? Mm-hmm. And and Tara finding that strength is kind of, you know, amazing because we don't often get even now representation of of female abuse women abusing mm-hmm. even a male partner or a female partner we don't really get to see that and that is an abusive moment willow is being abusive willow mm-hmm. uh, willow is abusing herself she's abusing magic which has become like a drug to her and then she abuses tara and tara stands up for herself by leaving by by putting the boundaries on and deciding like no no matter how much I love you like I need to go. And so I think that like, uh, yeah, their relationship in terms of representation is flawed. But I do think that even in that flawed nature, there's something that is um, grounded and real in terms of who their characters are. Um, And I appreciate both of their performances because it's really heartbreaking, um, especially after the fun like, I'm under your spell song um, because they're they were having a great time. They weren't fighting anymore. They were happy, you know, and 
and it was heartbreaking for me to watch Willow kind of just like, and it was, you know, outgrowing Oz is one thing, but like, this is, this is supposed to be your forever love. And you've kind of, you've ruined mm -hmm. that with such a heinous mm -hmm. kind of lie. Yeah. Um, well, no, 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 you're good. I was about to say, and just it's it is something interesting and good for us to talk about that idea. Now, would I think we'd have a very different conversation about addiction now? Absolutely, yes. we'd have a lot of different conversations now. But again, it's like Matt said, we had to start somewhere because uh, other than having a very special episode of a show about societal issues, it wasn't something. So like season six through its flaws you could tell they were trying to be as real as possible because those characters are what, maybe 21 at that point maybe yeah and the things they were going through were so much larger than the like real world things that you know the supernatural things that were happening around them what it was that you know what happens when you're growing and maturing as you're also trying to save the world it's it's such an interesting you know uh, you know and we're queer people are weird and flawed and we need to stop pretending that we're not, but also yep. like at the same time, I, I agree. I, I saw a Mary Sue article about two weeks ago. And of course it was the Mary Sue uh, who said that Willow, Ro Willow Rosenberg should be thrown out of the queer canon oh. uh, because of how destructive she is. And I was like, okay, we can't do that now because she also did so many wonderful things for like having queer women on television and Allison doing an awesome job representing that character and her exploration. Um, do, do I also think they were kind of erasing Willow's bisexuality? Absolutely. Yep, I think they sure yeah. were key, very key to her. And it's something that I think now, you know, referencing Heartstopper, it's a huge plot point in that show that, you know, I think it's very important that we're living in a world where pansexuality, bisexuality, a, there is a spectrum to lots of things that it exists, but you yeah. are, you're very correct about a lot of those, uh, all of all yeah. of those. Things. And I and I would say to Mary Sue, like just be, like there are plenty of people are just people, no matter yeah. who they want to fuck. And some of them are toxic mm -hmm. as fuck. And maybe Willow's just that person. Like maybe Willow is just. I mean, I get it, right? We want we want good positive representation, and when we have so little of it, um, you know. But I don't think that we necessarily need to throw the baby out with the bathwater because mm -hmm. Willow wasn't all bad. She was a person mm -hmm. with addiction. And we need to also have empathy for that. And I, and I think that, like, you know, uh, I mean, like, sh should they have left her by? Yeah, like, this is not like, and then I discovered I never. It's fine. It's fine. She can like both. It's, mm -hmm. But this doesn't mm -hmm. have to be so strict. But, but this is something that, that we we are more open to now slightly um i'm thinking about the media now i'm like uh, so, sort of um and and i think that like you know uh, uh, even just watching the early seasons the amount of times like buffy calls someone a hoe or a slut or like mm -hmm. like the slut shaming that happens from all the girls like willow calls cordelia a hoe like like a dirty slut bucket at one point and i was just like uh, 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 uh. and then i was like oh did you forget what the 90s were like i guess <laughs> like yeah. um i was like yeah I've, I've been too far removed from then but you know and and the idea of slut shaming another woman for me right now is just awful right like i like mm -hmm. i'm like no like that's that's not 
you're you're not a feminist. You're not you're not one of the gals. We're we're a team, ladies. Don't don't be mean. Don't don't call Cordelia a slut. It's not nice. I know she's mean to you, but say, say that she's mean. Say that she's an insensitive jerk, because that is true. That is that is absolutely true about Cordelia. She's an honest, I, I, insensitive jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it's true who also she got a she got a pretty good arc for herself i mean yeah. it's it's a shame it kind of got dashed out on angel but charisma carpenter is a wonderful actress i loved when she and allison hannigan were on veronica mars together yeah that was yeah. really great to see um but yeah it's i just i wish there are those little things that i i go but again that's still purity culture like we're still talking about mm -hmm. like a time of purity rings and and you you don't you don't slut it up you're not the easy girl behind the 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 bleachers blah 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 but like you know yeah the manic pixie girl i'm not like other girls <sighs> I, I like to I go mean, dancing in the rain i mean we now live in a post euphoria world so like <laughs> who knows like yeah I, thankfully we are in the opposite direction. So we've touched on a couple episodes so far. Hush, Tabula Rasa, once more with feelings, the body. Um, what are some other episodes that for you all that just stand out as exemplary, exemplary examples of what makes Buffy so unique and special? Hi, I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I'm the host of CPOV Autographs at CertainPOV.com. It is a bi-weekly interview series where I interview folks from all over the arts, from writers to comedians to magicians to musicians, even actors, historians, podcasters, pretty much anyone who's willing to chat with me for a little bit. If you like interesting conversations with even more interesting people, go to CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, music is life and life is good. You know, I'm, I'm, there's so many episodes with Drusilla. Drusilla is one of my faves um, because, the, first of all, she's just fabulous. I mean, the fact that she's just mad and, like, so evil and loves chaos and just the way that she plays with all of that. Um, oh, man. But there, she's got so many good moments. I don't know if there is particularly, mm -hmm. like... Um, I think maybe after she got strong, definitely, because I want to give Drew like a strong call out, you know, like. So, oh yeah. Yeah, because she like she totally deserves it. So I think I'm thinking somewhere along season two, I'm thinking, um, maybe towards the end. Maybe maybe her best moment was when she decided to convince Giles she was Jenny. And then continued to make out with him, even though Spike and Angel were both there and were like, uh, we're done. And she's like, I got carried away. Okay, but who doesn't just want to sit there and make out with Anthony Stewart head? I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was just like, it's I so mean... cute. Also, shout out to Anthony Stewart Head, who is an amazing, amazing advocate for his trans child, who is just an amazing queer ally. Mm -hmm. We stand. And if you have not seen it, Anthony Stewart Head as Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror. It's all over YouTube. We are talking the fishnets. We are talking the tight tucking pennies. We're talking corset. We are talking full makeup. Beautiful. It's everything. <laughs> He's the only reason why I saw Repo. The only reason why I saw Repo. And I stayed for Paris Hilton. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's also why I watched Arthur when that terrible show, or Merlin, Merlin, when Merlin was yeah. on. Yeah. I watched him because he was Pendragon. But, like, uh, 
I, I, what about you, Stormy? What, what are some moments for you that, or episodes that you just stand out? I mean, it's funny. I, I, like, I mean, we mentioned a lot of my favorites, right? Like, Hush, mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about until you guys brought it up. Like, I just, anytime a show try, does something with sound design or sound or the lack of, especially, mm-hmm. it's always fascinating to me. But I'm actually, I'm looking through the season episode list and I'm remembering Band Candy specifically, the episode uh-huh. where they're selling candy and, like, I just, it's that's one of those episodes where it's just it's just full of bits and it's full of yep. it's it's like the early Joss writing before we were all tired of it and so like mm-hmm. and it was and I mean Joss didn't write that episode it was actually Jane um, uh, Eps, uh, Epinson that wrote uh-huh. that one mm-hmm. but like it's just that style of it's so nineties it's it's so yeah. so nineties and like I love those episodes you know I, a Beauty and the Beasts is also a great episode from that mm-hmm. season like I just I like. As much as I love the big narrative hooks, I really like the episodic, like, here's a thing, we got to deal with this thing, and then we move on to the next thing. Like, I enjoy mm-hmm. that flow of the show because you can kind of just tune in, enjoy it, and tune out. You know, of course, you know, the, the episode where where Angel gets banished, where it gets destroyed, is is heartbreaking for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, I love. I, 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 I'm holding up for the the listeners can't see it, but my <laughs> David Boreanaz, my Angel Funko Pop, and I have a Buffy Funko Pop as well. Um, they a fun fact: these were originally going to be the cake toppers at our wedding, but then we decided not a great relationship to uh, to. <laughs> to uh, exemplify uh, so instead we didn't do a canonical relationship we just both picked archers i picked hawkeye and sarah picked merida and that those were our kick toppers so you know it seems appropriate for both of you yeah yeah but like i i think that uh like i i love the here it's so tropey but i love the enemies to lovers trope i just i love it it's so tried and so true but like i think there's just there's always going to be this fascination with angel and buffy for me Um, and so like all of the episodes where we really get to explore that relationship and those characters, both the highs and lows, the good episodes and the not so good episodes. I, I, my heart belongs to those episodes a lot because I like the exploration of that relationship. And to be clear, I don't mind Spike. Although I found out recently when I posted, because I'm blonde, for those who haven't seen recent photos of me, I made a realization as I kept slicking my hair back when it was bleached blonde, first died before my roots came in, that I look very much like one Spike from Buffy. And when I posted about it on Twitter, half my replies were like, oh man, that's awesome. He, I love Spike. And the other half of the replies were, oh God, it's Spike. He's the worst. And so like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like the Buffy fandom kind of all agrees that, you know, there's some level of love for Angel where Spike is like this divisive man child, which he is on a level, but like, it's just very funny to me. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think the show as a whole is always going to be a thing that I love to just like play episode roulette and just throw on a random mm-hmm. episode and take it in. Because aside from some of the major story moments, you can kind of just watch anything mm-hmm. at any time. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Ahead, we both took a bit. No, because I was actually going to say something that, and this is bringing us back to Once More with Feelings, and I'm so sorry that I, we just keep circling this episode. It should always come back to Once More with Feeling, honestly. But, but I, think, I think the reason why that end worked so incredibly well is because that episode started feeling like it was one of those episodes that wasn't part of the larger Mm storyline it started as just like this like 
oh, like someone's getting a parking ticket and and they're singing and then someone starts tapping and then what? Oh, he died. Like he danced himself to death. Oh no, what's happening? Right. And so and then it just feels like you're just like, oh, Sunnydale's just breaking into song. What is this? Blah, blah, blah. And then you get to the end and it's really because this is this beautiful device so that finally this like Buffy can actually tell her truth and let everyone know why she's been so freaking miserable and why mm-hmm. why like she's not more grateful for being back in their lives you know there's this like mm-hmm. like they because they feel really good about this like we brought Buffy back like it's amazing like oh are you okay and she's having to to mask it right she's having to go mm-hmm. yeah no I'm so this is great it's so wonderful to see you I I love you all this is wonderful and like meanwhile she's hurting every minute because she was in a place of serenity and now she has to feel all the things that she didn't mm-hmm. have to feel anymore and so it just is such a wonderful device because as one of my musical theater teachers used to say that musical theater teacher musical theater is more real than other forms mm-hmm. because it is the one art where everyone says exactly what they're they're thinking they just do it in song but it's exactly mm-hmm. what they're thinking. So you know exactly where everyone stands in a musical because they're going to tell it to you in rhythm and on key. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing, Sam, because as a musical theater person, it's one of those things you, there are those moments where you tell the biggest bit of information in a song because when you can't speak it, you sing it. When you can't sing it, you dance it out. And mm-hmm. then it's a big combination. And then Alpha flies at the end of act one. It's, you know, it's all, it's that it's, and it's the whole reason because that's like episode 12 or 13 in the season. And so there'd been so many secrets and they had to come out yeah. and it was a brilliant, it was a brilliant way. And sweets might be my favorite, like non arcing villain oh, mm-hmm. just yeah. cause he's so good. Also just cause he was played by Broadway legend, oh, yeah. like just so good. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, talk about performing through a prosthetic gorgeously. <laughs> Absolutely. Wonderful tap dance. Beaut- I love a beautiful baritone. We love a low voice <laughs> tenor. Tenors get way too much respect and love in musical theater. Give me a baritone. (laughs) Which really in that show you have like James Marsters and Anthony Stewart had her like baritenors, but they got to sing like that beautiful lower stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as James James Marsters got to just do his punk rock thing, which was so good. Yeah. And then, and then our space, he was just so, it's so great. Um, But yeah, it was the secrets. Uh, But one that we haven't talked about, which is two of my favorites are Pangs in season four, which is the Thanksgiving episode Mm -hmm. where uh, Xander, much like Buffy, has to rotate jobs a lot because Xander didn't go to college and uh, ends up with a um, uh, syphilitic disease put onto him by ghosts of a disturbed uh, tribe of indigenous people. (laughs) Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yep. when his penis got diseases from a Shumash tribe and we referenced it again in the musical and I loved it. But also something that kind of turned the monster of the week on its head and it was the weirdest season opener ever is Buffy versus Dracula. Yes. Which yes. is such a great moment because <laughs> yeah. it's like, because it also was a callback to the terrible vampires of the movie. Yep. Yeah. In that like overly camp, but there was still something sexy and dangerous in an Anne Rice way about our Dracula and Buffy. But it also makes sense. It's like, why are we not going to reference the biggest, uh, you know, we're creating all these other, like we're creating the first, we're creating the mayor, like all of these things. Why don't we meet Dracula? Why don't we meet the Wolfman? Uh, 
but for me the 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 standout thing for me that i think still ages well in so many ways that sets the show apart and matt you referenced it a little is all of the design together yeah. the lighting the scenic design the prosthetics and makeup like oz transforming into the werewolf in season two or three for the first time when we see it it's so similar to like a lot of that great 70s technology they used in american werewolf in yeah. london but they're all those the great moments where we're kept an uncomfortably long amount of time in these moments of pure horror mm -hmm. in a way that we got used to it but even like the blending of things from the bronze into another episode or into another scene or these moments where we're laying things inside of songs. It's so good top to bottom oh. and they just understood in the cinematography. This show would have won way more Emmys now than it did then. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it, I think, I don't think it actually ended up winning any Emmys, maybe one or two, because it took them until Hush to get a nomination. It yep. took them four seasons to get an Emmy nomination. And I think they only got two more mm -hmm. uh, before the show ended. And it's just all of the technical awards should have gone to that show. Yeah. Just because. It like as a dramaturg, it feels so real, like a world that we are living in. But then, an accessible version of magic, an accessible version of supernatural, all of these things that still feel so tangible in our world. And they do the Star Trek thing where most of the demons are humanoid, which somehow makes them a little more terrifying in many ways. Yeah, and because then the villains ultimately end up being hu the humans like when it's the mayor when it is adam in season four when it is glory taking this idea of 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 a human shape or even when it's um warren in season six um which then becomes willow but like there are those moments where they just kind of told us so much about the world through the design and the aspects and even keeping the consistency on a tv budget of the the dusting of the vampires some of those those ideas of like um of the the weir the the vampires shifting faces yeah like that was something so specific to this that i thought was really interesting and really just really just made it sore um though something for me that i to this day want more and it's why it clung to some of the book series uh, that they called Tales of the Slayer, which they released like individual stories of the different Slayers. We get a little bit when we meet the first Slayer, the the indigenous African girl. Mm -hmm. And then when we meet uh, the two Slayers that Spike murdered, we don't know much about them, but we got to see those moments. And I would have loved so much more to see... Uh, these other slayers like we have a whole history like millennia of slayers i want to see them i want to know a little bit more i would love to see buffy still having some of the dreams as she's the established slayer so it's not just her awakening or, or these things i would still want to see some of these moments and uh i would have loved to got more of them and we just didn't which was yeah. a shame yeah i mean the flashback in the movie is not enough for you <laughs> 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 sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's just mean uh, how dare you uh, just, how dare you oh, again i'm still sad when he was like the slave girl and we did not see christy swanson in blackface i'm so happy for that oh yeah 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 me too absolutely yeah. still still relieved but it's i mean it's even like we got her in one of the books and it's one of my favorite books but the fact that we never got the slayer that died for buffy to get called mm -hmm. 
and Giles' connection with her, if there was one, because we ended up with so much of that, like, nonsensical uh, uh, misogynistic Watcher's Council lore. Yeah. Like, we learned yeah. so much about that bullshit Watcher's Council, which when they blew up in season seven, I was like, good fucking riddance. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, Honestly, I love oh, that I, they blow it up because it's like, why, why do we mm-hmm. need all you stodgy old men telling us what to do? We're, yeah. we're tactically we doing this already. Like... Yep, yep. And really, when it's just kind of Giles and Andrew left at the end, I'm like, I'm not mad. Yeah. I'm really not mad about this. I'm a little mad sometimes that Andrew made it out alive, but Tom Link, queer representation, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> though, when he shows up in that episode of Angel and he's got women on his arms, I was like, clearly Andrew is a homosexual and I need yeah. us to talk about it. Yeah. Clear. But there, there's also one last thing, because you talked about the kind of lovers to... Uh, enemies to lovers and there's one clearly coded ship that's in this show that they never solidify but you know there was some sort of yearning was Xander and Spike yep when Spike is living in Xander's uh, basement clearly Xander was troubled because of how hot he was for Spike. And (laughs) Xander treats other men who are hotter than him so poorly because you could tell he was attracted to them. Like Xander is a repressed bisexual man who never came out, who clearly wanted to, uh, you, you know, Anya wanted to get into pegging, but he just wouldn't do it. Like they were all (laughs) 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 because it is, it is this aspect of everybody with it, with the exception of like, Buffy, Willow, Xander Giles, and a few of the other like mortal characters we get. Everyone else in the show is at least a few hundred years old, if not thousands of years old. And so it's that, it's that thing with Anya where like when you live a certain amount of time where it's like why all vampires are inherently bisexual, like when you live long enough, sexuality in, in norms are just thrown out the window. And cause you need something to keep interesting over millennia or you're going to want to stake yourself. Like it's just going to happen. <laughs> like, like it's the fact that we're getting a new interview with a vampire and they've kind of amped up representation. And they said, there's going to be a heavy queer under to overtone to it. I was like, cause there's no queer undertones to interview with a vampire. They're all overtones. Yeah. There is, it is yeah. just gay, 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 gay. Oh yeah. It's okay. um, <laughs> but I mean, that's just kind of inherently with vampires. I think there is a sensuality to them. Mm-hmm. There is a gorgeousness to them. I do think it's funny. We never see fat vampires, but whatever. I'll get off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, those are just, if I had a few things that I just as like a rabid fan would love to have seen years later. I don't know if there's, as you know, we head towards the end here, if there's anything that you all think about that, like you just from like a fan standpoint would have loved to see that we maybe never got. I mean, I don't don't know if there's anything in particular, but I, I still am very sad about Anya's end. I felt like she deserved better. (sighs) Mm -hmm. I think that she was such an amazing character. I kind of wish Xander had died instead. And um, yep. and and I felt that way before my rewatch. Like that's not like a recent thing. Like I, I just I, I just thought that she was. What I really loved about her character, um, and her arc is that, in some ways, she had been in the world for so long, but 
it was like she was a newborn child too like she was a, because mm -hmm. she's learning how to be human and like so she's mm -hmm. been in the world for a long time but she was a demon before so like she like keeps mm -hmm. like having to learn but why why do i have to do that okay fine mm -hmm. like and i just kind of loved that about her because a lot of some of the traits that she had in that very straightforward nature she kind of shared with cordelia's early character mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that i found like redeeming about cordelia and it was more charming in anya anya was a more charming mm -hmm. version of that character and so um i am still heartbroken uh about her end i am still like i am like literally like i I am feeling a little overclamped right this moment as I talk about. It. I haven't even gotten that far in my rewatch, guys, and I'm I'm <laughs> I, I I I you know kind of wish you know I'm I'm fine with the way that Spike went out because I think that it was like a wonderful redemption moment for him, especially after some of the heinous things in season six. I'm like, come on, um, and you know I'm I'm okay with a, how a lot of things turned out i wish that in season seven um they weren't so mean to buffy just before the <laughs> final like that whole confrontation thing like i was just like the tone just feels like i know they're trying to be like oh the season you know and i there were like rumors floating around whether or not this is true that like the cast was mad so they were really leaning into their lines at sarah michelle because the whole thing about her you know, kind of saying it in an interview that, that she was leaving the show and them not knowing. But I was like, but I mean, come on, does this have to bleed into characters? And again, like that's an unsubstantiated rumor. Mm -hmm. um, but I was just like, damn, like this girl cannot catch a break, like ever. Like, mm -hmm. like how many seasons do you have to go before you just go like, okay, I trust you. Mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I trust you, Buffy. Like, like you are a leader. You are the leader. You've gotten a, us out of so many. Like, this this woman has saved the world several times. She's died three times, and she sang in a musical. Like, I, she mm -hmm. deserves mm -hmm. <laughs> a little more respect towards the end. And so, again, I know that this is the writers adding tension. Like, will the Scooby gang be able to come together? Oh, no. But I was just like, I... I feel like this is really mean and I and I feel like there are several times where the writers are, are kind of mean to Buffy to mm -hmm. make her work through it or rise above it or to show that when the shit hits the fan the Scooby gang can get together but like it's like are they really dealing with the issues or are they just like working together because they're used to the trauma that they always experience these are all people that mm -hmm. need therapy very badly Yes, 100%. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my thoughts are, are actually in sim similar lane of uh, Sam's. Like, I think that if I could go back and change it, if I could another pass the show, if it were, as it were, um, uh, I would remove a lot of the, the, like, look, we definitely need realism in a show like this. We want to show real stakes. We want to show real emotions. We want to show real conflict. But I think... Sam is right. Like some of the hate and aggression towards Buffy as a character mm -hmm. just was kind of unnecessary. Like you said earlier on, Matt, like torture porn, essentially. It was like like they wanted her to suffer so she could overcome. 
but there's plenty to overcome without constant suffering. And I just felt like while she did have to have loss and did have to suffer from time to time, I felt like they overdid it, especially in the later seasons. And if I could yeah. go back and like re-experience the show in a different light, it would amp up the queerness, you know, a lot more people of color for sure. Uh, uh -huh. Make it a little less white if possible, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. like everything. Um, but also I would try and remove some of that like, uh, unnecessary un unnecessary over aggression i think mm -hmm. aggression and hardship are important but but sam is absolutely right by the the last season it was just like they just want to see buffy suffer so the ending is satisfying and like it yeah. was it wasn't more satisfying or less satisfying because she suffered i think that some of the heartbreak like with angel in the early seasons and even with spike later on like i think aside from the excessive stuff with spike we're all good for the story and the character mm -hmm. development, but some of it could have definitely been removed, changed, done differently. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even, like, neither of neither of them were very thrilled. I mean, like, James Marster actually said that he, when he was filming the unspeakable scene in the sixth season, that in between takes, he was, like, curling up in a ball because he hated, like, doing it. He hated acting it out. And he mm -hmm. was, like, apologizing and, like... He just, and he actually has never watched that episode. He doesn't want to ever watch that episode. Um, he doesn't, you know, and he said that he, you know, it really was a thing that he didn't want to do. And, and he did it because they convinced him that it was essential to the plot, but he really disliked doing it and dislikes that episode. Mm -hmm. um, so I, the fact that they just, they were like, no, we got to do this, you know? It reminds me of, like, the last few seasons of Game of Thrones where they were just like, well, we don't have to worry about character development. Let's just have everyone get, like, be naked and have, mm -hmm. you know, be raped. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, if it helps and gives anyone at home a reason, one, to listen to the next episode, but two, to go read the Dark Horse comics uh, that pick up with season eight and continue, I believe, through season 11, there's a whole arc where Anya, beyond the grave, gets to torture Xander in a hellscape that, so if that's nice. any reason yeah and that's after oh, yeah. he dates dawn and it's just gross and creepy and weird uh so yeah anya gets to come back because honestly there's certain characters that like i know we're living in an eternal land of a reboot and there's always discussion of a buffy reboot um even at one point they were going to do it and michelle trachtenberg was going to play cordelia and i was like could we not could we not yeah please um, no. I know currently there's one that's being talked about where Buffy's played by an actress of color and there's like no whiteness to it, but they're having a hard time doing it without Joss. And I was like, we can do all things without Joss Whedon, please. Yeah. Um, this isn't necessarily something that I think we need to keep. Now, granted, the comics right now, Boom just took it over and uh, they just entitled it called Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. And it's very good so far. I'm really enjoying um, it is outside of the continuity of the Dark Horse stuff. But it's one of those things. It's like maybe to continue stories like this in a non-problematic way that we can have it, it doesn't need to be on film and we don't need to keep going back to it. And this yeah. is one where I kind of, I am okay to leave it with what we have. And even though I would love, loved more of it, I would still love more of it. It's kind of feel like a cash grab. I know none of the actors are super jonesed about coming back at any point. Sarah does not want to. Yeah. And I respect the shit out of her not wanting to come back to this yeah. character. Like, you know, it'd be one of those things. I would much rather see her play Daphne Blake again than play Buffy again, if we're being honest here. Um, <laughs> I, I would love a third Scooby-Doo movie, honestly. Yeah. Let's get it. Yes, please. Um, 
Oh, also, um, again, not really my type, but Freddie Prince Jr. with the dark root and the blonde hair. Yeah, I'm into <laughs> it. Freddie. <sighs> see, I loved for, it. And see, like, for I was going to say, more... there's no chaos there. What are you talking about? See, see for oh, me, that, mo- pure chaos. <laughs> that, that movie was all about Linda Cardellini for me. Like, I learned a lot of things <laughs> oh, about myself. Yes. Oh, like... yes. Linda Cardellini. But also, like, Matthew Lillard. Like, I oh. am obsessed oh. with Shaggy. One of, one of my favorite uh, spicy Twitters that I follow is someone who all of his content is Shaggy. And I go... Mm. Mm. saying a lot of things about me now uh but uh thank you both for experiencing and just talking through this kind of retrospective buffy i know we could probably talk for hours about this but (laughs) i'm gonna wrap up with just if you just kind of give your honest kind of couple of words of like why in a time of the world that we're living in would it be good for people to find these characters or, or visit this series for the first time for all of its kind of hope that it that it can give what what would be your couple of words to everyone as to why they should visit oh we're too polite again (laughs) 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 we're both like uh you me um i know i know it's a big question i I do know well uh, i'll go because this is this is how matt and i operate apparently um (laughs) i i will say that i think that right now um while we are in the midst of it, because it's not over, we're in this pandemic and we're in a, a state of transition or lack of uh, empathy when it comes to our government, if you're in the United States. If you're not, congratulations. Um, <laughs> um, I think that the nice thing about this show is that it, it deals with actual grief and processing and moving forward through incredible odds. You know, this, this, this young woman, she, she starts as a teenager and she continues on to continue to have the weight of the world on her shoulder. And I think that's something that people can relate to. Um, and I think that although this show is flawed because of the time that it was created, I think that the, the core message of perseverance and um, friendship and like found family is still at the core of it very strong and it's still a beautiful show it still sounds really great and I think that if you're looking for something that is a slight distraction from the world but you can still cry a little bit but not about your own problems (laughs) Buffy is probably a great option for you I think that it's mm-hmm. it's a you know also just for historical purposes see what kids were doing in the 90s um just kind of get through that and and I think that if you can if if you need that um I think that it can be a really good uh comfort show for you and and you know so that's that's my pitch it's a little less scary than Riverdale cause I couldn't get through that so you know uh, I'll put that go. out there for the scaredy cats out there you can get through it I can get through it you can get through it Man. Um, <laughs> for me I mean I'm I'm kind of gonna again piggyback off of the the smart smartest of the three of us Sam clearly <laughs> uh, you know clearly uh, I I agree. I think that the thing that this show has that not necessarily other shows don't have, but I think that keeps me coming back to watching this show, um, complications about Joss Whedon aside and how he's a shit, um, which I will we never stop We all agree saying. on that. We all yeah, agree on it. Unanimously. Um, is that it has heart. It has heart in a way that, like, I, 
I, as a, as a, I love how you keep saying an elder millennial when I'm pretty sure, Sam, that I am older than you. But either no, way. No, I don't think we are. I don't think you are. Well, well we I, can discuss offline. Uh, yeah, only yeah. because I, I may seem like a vampire to people and I'm, I look younger than I am. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that said, like as a fellow elder millennial, uh, I think that, you know, this show has heart in the right place. I think that doesn't always get it right, but the characters, the, the, the relationships between a lot of these characters, except Xander, who can die in a fire, um, is really lovely. Like, I, like some of my favorite early moments as an awkward teenager, I know, shocking to everybody that I was an awkward, nerdy teenager, is like, I saw myself in Oz so much, and, and especially Seth Green. I love Oz. And so, like, to see his early relationship with Willow and see them be dorky and in love together, like, that just, it fills my heart with warmth because it reminds me of my youth. It reminds me of, you know, what I love about my spouse and, like, the good that I've seen in the world, especially with those two characters in isolation from the rest of the cast, even though I do love the whole cast. And I think that if you're looking for something that will equally make you think, will uh, tug at your heartstrings and also make you feel good, laugh, this show kind of has it all, you know, again, the, the harshness of it gets worse as it goes on a little bit, but okay. I think all in all, it's a nice mix of comedy and drama and, you know, thoughtful introspection and awesome music. And I think it's just kind of an all around package that a lot of other shows of its ilk aren't, you know, there are modern shows that I think are doing this well. Uh, but I think there's something about the the period of time that Buffy was made and takes place in. And also, if you want to know what I was like in my youth, while I can't, I well, I, yeah, Ozzy is pretty. Oz is pretty close. Uh, <laughs> if you want a case study of the '90s and how great, terrible it was, this show is definitely it for sure. I love it. Well. Thank you both for coming to this reunion special with me. Starting with Sam, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet if you want to be found on the internet? So they can find me, uh, uh, you know, at my podcast. So another pass. Go ahead and listen. We actually do, as as Maddie said, we have an episode where we're talking about the cult classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer with possibly the best death scene in the history of cinema. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's one thing to look forward to. And we do take another pass at it. So <laughs> We did. We did. We absolutely did. So, so we talk about the movie. We talk about the good. We talk about the bad. And then we all pitched how we would make it better and more prolific, uh, even though it is a cult classic, I understand. But, you know, everything deserves a tooling, a fine-tuning, um, and hindsight's twenty twenty, so <laughs> we've got that going for us, and that's what we do. Um, I am on our Discord, so you can come find Case and I um, on another pass and just talk to us there. And other than that, if you have any complaints about anything I said, I want you to find Case Aiken on Twitter, okay? That's Case Aiken at Twitter. Um, he basically just deals with everything that I say. So um, you can also tweet at another past podcast. Um, so yeah, so I hope you guys have any of your complaints there. Um, if you love Xander and you just want to let Case know that I'm an idiot, you can go ahead and tell him and he'll let me know. He's, he's got my number. It's good. No, in, in that situation, just tweet Joss Whedon directly. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's fair. Yeah. Because yeah, we're also fair. right. We're right. <laughs> we are right. That's true. <laughs> and how about you, Stormy? So uh, the best place to find me is at DJ underscore Stormageddon. Literally everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, 
Branding. Yes, I, I am in all those places. Um, you can also go to djstormageddon.com. There's no underscore in that. And that's where you can find my merch store, my Kofi, my Twitch page, uh, all of my podcasts. Again, my podcasts on the network are Fun and Games, which I host with the incredible Jeff Moonen. Um, uh, Reignite, which I host with Frankie Bradley Lestrange. Autographs, uh, CPOV Autographs, which is my uh, solo interview show. And Screen Snark, which I host with the incredible Rachel Quirky Shank. Uh, they are all there and all on every podcast platform imaginable. And if you can't find it on a podcast platform, tweet at me and I will add it to that platform. So there you go. Have you ever seen something in a theater that you just couldn't explain? Or have you ever thought about if dying really ain't that bad? And do you spend sleepless nights wondering exactly what happened to Natalie Wood that night on the boat? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time for you to exit stage death. Exit Stage Death is the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows, releasing bi-weekly on Tuesday starting May 24th. So if you want to find out which Broadway house is the most haunted, talk about what killed our favorite Broadway flops, and learn about the murderous path of Mama Rose that took Gypsy Rose Lee to stardom. It's time for Places, actors. Thank, Thank you, you places. places. It's time to exit stage death. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't screen beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential screen beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts fresh and tasty off the presses. What? But that's... No, that's not... Can I call them Screen Beans now? Fine. Screen Beans! So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole Screen Beans now. You will be mine. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.